Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Dashing through the snow In a one-horse open sleigh O'er the fields we go Laughing all the way Bells on bobtail ring Making our spirits bright What fun it is to ride and sing Slaying song tonight Yes, welcome, welcome everybody. Happy holidays to all. There's no better way, in fact, to bring in the holidays with a little smooth classic like what we just dropped on you. I will say that the host pre-show, as we're doing our pre-planning, went ahead and said, you can just go ahead and uh, play half that song or or dial that back a little bit if you want to cut that off. And I said, there is absolutely no way we're dialing that back. We're cutting that off. In fact, I should run it one more time. But uh, anyway, we we are back. It's been a while. I'll, we'll get into it later in the show, I'm sure. But I am going to put you on the spot, Mr. Host, and ask you if the amount of audits that we have been getting recently 
is normal because in the 14 years that I have been an employee of this agency, I have never seen so many audited or audits, especially consolidated in one what feels like very small period of time. Uh, so I'm uh, I'm giving the audience excuses for why we haven't been on our shows as often as we have, but uh, we'll we'll get to that later in the show. We're gonna start with our normal drop here. <laughs> Beautiful, beautiful, boom. Uh, I should add, 646-564-9909 is the number. Should anybody out there want to call in and uh, spread some holiday cheer, ask some questions, whatever you feel like, uh, we will get to sports. It's going to be a quick drop for us today, and from my end, I got nothing to talk about. Uh, The Warriors will win another championship, we know that, and my 49ers are going nowhere fast. However, they've managed to play themselves out of the number one pick, which uh, is very, very disappointing to me. Sir, what say you and your three squads? Well, uh, the Jets are fighting for the number one pick. (laughs) Yeah, you you owe us a thank you for that. Yep, and the the Giants are um, unfortunately – or for I don't know it's you know they're they're in no man's land meaning that they made a pick last year going for the running back figuring that their quarterback Eli Manning has still had some juice left in the tank and uh, he's working on the you know the when you flip the orange juice container up and it's just a little bit left in the corner <laughs> yeah you're just <laughs> going for that last drop and uh, I think this is it and there's no one really coming out to me. That's franchise-esque, if you will. Sure, uh, sure. So that means either they'll reach for somebody or um, they just lucked into a high pick for consecutive years. But this, the second year is going to be where there's really not a you know, franchise-changing changing quarterbacks available, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, okay. So I will say, and this is a, just a quick. So quick let me just can I just say one thing? Note. Yeah, Mr. Producer, yeah. Let me just say one thing. So think, looking back, what's likely going to happen for the New York Jets is that they chose their quarterback, and they look like they got their franchise quarterback right. Even though he struggled this year, they're just getting that struggle out the way. But yeah. um, they can go out into the market, and I really believe they're going to be one of the top top players for Le'Veon Bell. And they'll probably get a good two to three years, you know, elite level out of him. Um, yeah. But that's all that they need to, sure. you know, to be competitive now. Because I really think uh, for the AFC East that uh, we're seeing the tail end of Brady. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I can see that too. And, and the one point that I wanted to make was uh, speaking to your Giants – uh, they look like they they certainly hit on Saquon Barkley. Uh, you know, right. you, you never know when when there's no professional tape on somebody or the conversion to the big leagues and this and that. But over the course of a season, usually the truth pans out, and right. he looks like the truth. So uh, right. you guys definitely hit on that one. What about your Cowboys? Anything to say about your Cowboys? An embarrassing shutout loss to the Colts last week. I don't I don't think embarrassing is strong enough. 
Because um, <laughs> if you recall, if you recall, I was on a plane, or, and we'll talk about this later, but the That's day, right. that night when they were playing Thursday night against the Saints, well, let's say I was in the airport, but um, and I didn't find out that they won until I reached Chicago. Sure. But I did, over that weekend, you know, watch Jerry Jones say something about them being different cats, you know, after a game like that. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, maybe uh, they showed they were different by winning those, you know, next three games and having a five-game win streak and all that good stuff. But I don't know how you square that with the kind of performance they put out on Sunday, getting shut out. Yeah. So. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Are you uh do you like from what you've seen out of your Cowboys, do you like their playoff chances? I mean, not as far as making it in the playoffs. Assuming they make it into the playoffs, their chances of of actually competing in the playoffs. I don't know if you were able to watch the game against the Colts yet on Sunday or any parts of it. No, I was but not. What I noticed is that that Colts offensive line is the Cowboys' offensive line from 2014. Yo, they, yeah, they're dominant. They're okay. dominant. So Cowboys' offensive line is obviously missing their three centerpieces, or two of the three centerpieces, with Zach Martin being out, Larry, uh, Frederick being out, etc. Um, even with that, they were serviceable on Sunday, even though the interior got destroyed. The interior got destroyed. But, um, yeah, I was just watching that line. I would say, wow, they look exactly like the 2014 Cowboys offensive line. Sure. So if, if you know, if there's no injuries, they'll have a good line in front of a very good quarterback um, and obviously young defense. So this, they, the talk before the game was that this Colts team kind of mirrors the Cowboys team. The Cowboys team is the youngest team in the league if – the Colts didn't have Adam Vinatieri. If they didn't have right. Vinatieri, they would be the youngest, and the Cowboys would be the second youngest. So these two teams, minus the condition of the offensive lines, in my opinion, are on the same track. But the, if you put the offensive lines equal, right, the defense is Cowboys a little bit better. But when you face a line like that, it doesn't make a difference. You know what I'm yeah. saying? People were calling yeah. this defense the Cowboys defense elite. I said, no, they're not elite. They're very good. Elite is the 2000 Ravens. That's right, elite. Right, right. That means there's they shut down everybody every single game. There's no let game lapses. There's no, all right, they had an off game. There's none of that. That makes you elite. They're very good. And they, they proved they weren't elite by getting manhandled to the tune of 178 yards rushing on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, Marlon Mack ran all over them. But I think, like you said, that can be attributed to that offensive line. But did, then you say Mar- did you say Marlon Mack? It could have been uh, Mary Mack. It could have been Mary yeah, Mack running. Didn't make a difference. Yeah, yeah very true, that <laughs> offensive line. Uh, but I guess, you know, when it speaks to your point that uh, that an elite defense, um, an offensive line does not do that to an elite defense. Exactly. Uh, you know, the defense, the defense tends to have the advantage when it comes to that, right? And that's always been the case because you're always playing 11 on 10, right? Because the quarterback sees, sees his way out. Right. So. It might be a stalemate, 
it might be a stalemate, sure. and then it, and then it comes down to who makes a couple of plays. You know what I'm saying? But it's right, not like right. an outright. You just got your butt whipped. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, yeah, that, that's all I got. I know we were going to make this a short one uh, just for the audience to know. We do have a, a one-hour block kind of um, in mind, but we've carved out a little more than that in case we go over. But this leads me to my next point, um, Mr. Host. You recently were experiencing some travels or went on some travels. I understand, I guess, Chicago now you've said is where you were headed to, but you want to speak about this uh, vacation, if that's what it was, or business trip, or whatever it might have been? Well, it wasn't a vacation. It was business, but it was personal business. <laughs> okay. Um, and Chicago wasn't the destination. It was just the stop. Um, we're heading to Virginia. Uh, okay. Uh, for a family function celebrating my mother's 90th birthday. Okay. Congrats uh, to mom. Yep. And now is she uh I'll interject real quick is she a mm-hmm. young 90 like she still has her wit and sharp minded and uh is she a young 90 or is she starting to get a little older as far as response and, and holding conversation with her Um when Linda and I got to the hall the the early afternoon of the event which was on Saturday evening to, you know, help set up and all that stuff, my mother was there doing all of that. It wow. got to the okay. point that my oldest sister had to tell my mother, Mom, you need to go home and start getting ready. Yeah. Okay. So she had to be physically removed from the <laughs> hall. All so right. She was very intricately involved in like uh, setting setting this up. And, yeah, she is, um, you know – um, she's a young 90. Yeah, she's, she's a, young a young 90. 90. She's with it. She's present. Beautiful. All right. Yep. So about the trip, let's hear it. Uh, so that's where we were headed. And obviously, um, as you know, if whenever I'm going on a plane, I, you know, is a routine that I have, which includes uh, scouring the, uh, the travel sites looking for specific aircraft. Also knowing that going from anywhere any hub, so whether it's going into Chicago, New York, Washington, Philly, doesn't make a difference. To get to Richmond, there's no direct flights. So you got to go from San Francisco to somewhere and then that somewhere to Richmond. Well, wherever okay. that somewhere is, is going to be on a very small plane. The type of plane that me at six foot four, when I walk into the aircraft, have to mm. stoop over. Okay. Sure, sure. And I, and I know this because I've been there numerous times. So, so what I try and do then is make sure that I'm flying on a wide body, you know, for the for the long leg, which okay. I did. I was fortunate enough to get a triple seven both ways, you know, going and coming back. And it's the only triple seven flight that United does uh, to Chicago since SF that route. Just one a day they do. Um. And it was fine going, even though there was a two-hour delay um, by the time we took off. So we got the flight left at 11.15 at night, and we got on. Everyone loaded up on time, but there was, quote-unquote, mechanical (laughs) difficulties. Now, mind you, we're traveling kit and caboodle, which means the whole family, grand boys, one dog, 
and Sheba didn't come. Sheba would stay with Sabrina, okay? Okay. And so everyone, and by the way, my wife and I purposely didn't um, book our flights at the same time my daughters booked their flights. Because, you know, we were just like, well, we don't need to fly with them. I mean, they're grown, and they can handle the kids and whatnot, and we got the dog. So, but, and so they booked sometime in July. I booked in late September, early October. We ended up on the same flights. Wow. So, <laughs> um, so we were sitting on the airplane for almost uh, 90 minutes. You know, while they deal with whatever this mechanical difficulty. The fun, funny part is, is that since the, the, my two daughters and my wife are uh, white knuckle flyers. Oh, that's yeah, the, they're feeling the, that. <laughs> right. So as soon as the pilot came on and said, you know, we just got a delay because of some, uh, you know, mechanical issues we have to work out. You know, both my daughters are up walking down the aisle heading towards me with concern, look on their faces, and my wife's <laughs> tapping me on the shoulder and like, you know, what's going on? I said, I don't know. It could be anything from a light bulb to something wrong with the engine. I have no idea. Oh, um, good. You dropped the engine <laughs> on them, did you? <laughs> oh, no. You know, I, I had to go one extreme to the other. I said, it could be anything. That's, Who knows? Right. He, wasn't being spe- he wasn't specific. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, Oh, he said, "Well, funny. why do?" He said, "Well, why do they have to tell you that?" I said, "Well, no, they have to. They have to let you know that there's a mechanical issue that's causing the delay. Um, and some pilots are specific. They'll say, hey, we got a, you know, one of our compressors is not working, or we got an issue. We fixed something, and we need to get the paperwork before we can leave.' You know, they can. You know, depends on the personality of the pilot, how much information he gives to the passengers. But um, sure. eventually, we got pushed back, and we're taxiing." And Chris, you flew out of SFO, so you kind of yeah. know, you know, and you flew United, right, out of SFO, yeah. so you kind of know yeah. where their gates are. And there's only two runways, I mean, two directions that the that you do uh, take off out of. Either you're going east over the bay, or you're going north towards the Golden Gate. Right. Right. And so as we're taxiing. I'm saying to Linda, I said, oh, okay, looks like we're just going to take off east over the bay and I guess just keep on going, head booking north, I mean east, you know, towards towards uh, Chicago. And the guy pulls around and stops, but he, he rolls, it seems like, one quarter of the way down the runway and then stops. And I'm like, wait a second, we've gone a pretty far away for him to now stop, like we're getting ready to like wait for clearance. I'm like, wow, we must really be light. You know what I mean? And he doesn't need the whole, you know, the whole runway. So sure, we're looking sure. out our window. We're on the right side of the plane, and we see a plane landing, coming into land. And we say, oh, okay, that's what they're waiting for. So that plane comes in. Another one comes in behind it. And now he starts to move, but he's not rolling like on a takeoff roll. He's just, you know, moving like he's taxiing. Just taxiing, I'm like, what the yeah. I'm like, what the hell is this guy doing? Then they make a right turn. And I'm like, wow, now they're going towards the other runway. I can say that the long runway, the one where you're going northbound towards the Golden sure. Gate. Sure. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? So now we're going, you know, towards the other runway, and you could see lights from planes that are, you know, coming into land as he turns to wait to line up. And I'm like, what the hell did this guy just take us around the whole damn airport for just to get to this spot unless, and again, he's not telling us, but he's just rolling around for all this time. 
you know, unless there was, since we were late, and I'm presuming because of weather, other people were late, and there was so much traffic on the taxiway that they just directed him all around this way. That's the yeah. only thing I can think of. Huh. Eventually, we started our takeoff roll, and I told Linda, I said, look, this is only my second time on the 777, but I want you to know this one thing. When we lift off the ground, I want you to pay attention to how there is absolutely no dip. It's full thrust power, like a rocket. She looked at me, yeah. and she had this look on her face like, I don't give a rat's <laughs> beat <laughs> about none of that. Yeah, yeah. I just, she I just absolutely, need to get there in one piece. She absolutely hates the takeoff and hates the landing. Yeah. I'm I'm leaning over her trying to look out the window. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She she's got a death grip on my right arm, my bicep, as we start the takeoff roll. But uh it's fine. We get there even though we took off an hour and a half late, we get to Chicago thirty minutes early. Wow. So he was pushing it. Oh yeah. Tailwind and all. He was pushing it. That's all right. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't even realize until you started educating me on different planes and different aircrafts and the engines and the power about that, you know, where you had said something that your wife and your daughters sometimes get some butterflies in their stomach when there's that temporary moment of weightlessness where you mm. feel like you're dipping a little bit during the takeoff. And then, you know, depending on the aircraft and the engines and how much thrust, like you said, some of them, uh, you won't even feel it because they kind of push through that moment. Mm -hmm. And I was never really aware of that until we spoke. And then I started to feel it. Yeah, where you're taking the little cheap little uh, Southwest aircraft to Las Vegas, the little one hour flight, and you're taking off. And yeah, like that feeling in an, as an elevator begins to drop. Right. You start to feel that just just for a moment. Right. Um, versus, yeah, when we flew to Europe, and they obviously when we were going over the Atlantic, they had to use a very powerful jet. And you didn't feel that. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, the takeoff is still one for me, and it's only because of the, the stupid statistic, I believe, is widely known. But, you know, there are three three components to flying. There's the takeoff, and then there's midair flight or whatever, you're coasting, and then there's the, the landing. And how the, I guess, statistically speaking, the vast majority of uh, accidents or things that could go wrong during a flight happen on takeoff. Very rarely do they happen midair, and very rarely do they happen on landing. It all tends to happen on takeoff, which makes sense because this is when you're pushing, I assume, this is when you're pushing your engines to uh, maybe as hard as they're going to be worked throughout those three phases. Um, so that always kind of upsetting for me for the takeoff knowing that is a little uneasy and then you're hearing all kinds of sounds the landing gears raising there's clanking underneath and you hear the jet you're hearing the jets for the first time so it sounds like they're straining you know your ears haven't gotten used to the humming yet and uh yeah so the, the takeoff for me is it's hard to enjoy the little things but i've gotten a lot better with it since you've uh you've kind of educated me a little bit on all the happenings well, I hate to uh, bust your bubble, <clears throat> but I'm not sure where that stat came from, mm -hmm. but um, the most dangerous part of flight is landing. And let me tell you why real quick. When, you t when you're on takeoff, first of all, they don't use ma the maximum thrust that the engines can provide on takeoff. They, they 
the computer sets the thrust based on the weight of the you know of the, of the aircraft at takeoff, sure. and then it sets the amount of thrust needed. And unless the plane is loaded to its maximum takeoff weight, um, maximum thrust isn't needed because what's their main what's the main thing they're trying to save on fuel. So they're right. not just gonna you know put the pedal to the metal every time they're taking off. They're just gonna this is all that we need. We only need seventy five percent thrust. That's all we're giving it to to lift off the ground. But um, right. So as long look as long as you got forward thrust provided by the engines and there's air outside, the the plane's gonna take off. I mean it's gonna lift. And and if you got two engine aircraft, it's got to be able to fly at the most critical moment, which is wheels come off the ground, one engine fails. It's got to be able to still pull up and fly with one engine, or it can't fly passengers. So with that said, when you are landing, landing is a controlled fall from the sky. That's what landing is. It's a yeah. controlled fall. And more things happen in that because the plane has to come down. They don't have a forever fuel. Whereas if there's bad weather, they could say, okay, we're not going to take off. But once you're up there, you got to land somewhere. You know right, what I'm saying? right, right. And sometimes based on the amount of fuel you have, your options are limited. So that let's say you're on the eastern seaboard and there's a huge storm that covers numerous states. It's not like you, you're close to flying to New York and you say, okay, well, well, we'll divert to Philly. Well, Philly's covered by that storm too. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. one way or the other, you're going to have to get that plane down. And if you're trying to come down in weather, yeah, of course the plane can take it, but it's more upsetting to people if it's getting bounced around and, and, and whatnot. But, um, yeah, to me, landing is more, quote, unquote, dangerous than, than, than taking I think in, intuitively for people, because like you said, that's probably the only time you're going to hear the engines power up like that and hear that noise. Um, whereas to someone like me, that noise is music to my ears. Yeah, yeah. Music to my ears when I hear those engines, uh, we call it, you know, power up, um, because that's when they're at their most efficient. They're terribly efficient when they're taxiing on the runway. You know what I'm saying? But when they power up and they're, you know, powering that weight off the ground, that's what they're designed for. Yeah. And so, by the other way, the other the other part of flight that you call coast is called cruise, not coast. <laughs> yeah, there you go, cruising, cruising altitude, cruising altitude. Uh, yeah, no, I, I guess I guess that may you know, I, and I don't know where I where I I read that statistic somewhere, heard it somewhere, and perhaps it was um, misinformation, or they were talking about something specific, and I caught it outside of the context with which they were talking about it. Um, but I, I just pulled up here um, while we were chatting. I just pulled up online here some statistics. And, uh, yeah, no, it, it, this page does indeed state final approach and landing. Hmm. Uh, so they actually have it broken into categories. And so they, they measured this over the last – over a 10-year period of time, uh, you know, when the percentage of accidents takes place, uh, you know, or, or something that could go wrong, I guess, right? And uh, they've broken it down into a bunch of segments, Uh, taxiing, you spoke about, and then the takeoff and initial climb, and then the actual climbing phase and the cruising phase, and then the descent and initial approach, and then the final approach and landing. 
Mm-hmm. And sure enough, yeah, the final approach and landing is the the highest the highest by percentage. And keep in mind, of course, that we're not talking about a, unless they're talking about all in, reported incidents of you know not when we're playing crashes, but just like something happens, even though the yeah. plane may still land safely. Um, but if they're just talking about accidents, there's so few of them. Right. So you know there could be five accidents, and you know three of them occurred while landing, two who knows while in cruise. Or one in cruise, one at takeoff, but um, most people would be surprised to find out that when you, once you take off and your wheels up off the ground and they're climbing, that when something happens, whatever it is, you know, engine flame out, whatever the case may be, you know, instinct, human instinct is okay. We got to get down. But right. That's not what happens. They're instructed. Okay, you know, you got to climb up to six thousand feet. You know, turn here, turn here, hold, and you know. Get your affairs in order, find out what's going on. And so you're flying around for 45 minutes. Right, right. You know what I mean? Whereas normal, you know, us sitting in the back, we'd be like, what the hell is going on? You know, we're panicking, but they're up there just going about normal business because there's no threat. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. But we don't know that as passengers. Right, right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Interesting stuff. Well, that's good. I'm glad that we settled that because now I can have a – uh, another piece of uh, now I can never land it. Land it. Piece of, that's good. So that's uh, good that we were able to add that to the show here. Um, anything else about the the trip that you'd like to share? Did we just get documentation for uh, United uh, to 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 sue no, us no, over no. for the lack of ticket sales? No, the last thing is that the flight home was horrendous because obviously with storm, storms out on the East Coast, we were delayed out of Richmond for an hour. We missed our connecting flight into Chicago, so I missed flying home on the 777 and had to settle for a 737. Oh, man. It took you and, and, just the and, residual and the effects. Only, the only thing that made it bearable for me was that I was able to watch Sunday Night Football going home so it made the flight bearable okay okay so you guys had the little tvs and the headrests and whatnot oh no oh no chris no no oh, you had producer. to stream this <laughs> i was shocked to find out that tom i'm getting on the plane i'm in the triple seven at least going right i'm thinking where the hell are the screens in the back of the seats yeah this is a wide body and no they had something that's called personal entertainment center or something like that. And I'm like, I'm looking around trying to find where is it, where is it, where is it? I'm opening up the magazine. Come to find out, I'm playing playing with the thing on the back of the seat and saying to Linda, I said, is this the screen behind here? I said, what is this? I'm opening my meal tray. We finally figure out, you got to use your own device. That's (laughs) I've seen that. And what they provide you is just a little holder you can stuff your phone into. Exactly. I'm oh, like, what man. the hell is flying coming to? Oh yeah. So that's yeah. only provided. That's oh, that that those. So I, we were on the triple seven two hundred, which is the oldest version. Even though the plane wasn't old, but it's the original version. Sure. But that's the domestic. They use that domestically. So if you're going internationally, then you get the one with the with the private screens on the seats and all that good stuff. Okay, that makes sense. Uh. You know, and that, that's another thing learned about flying. I remember getting on a flight. I think this is uh, when we traveled to Detroit uh, a couple of years ago. And, uh, yeah, the, the plane had uh, screens in the headrest. And on the way back, screens in the headrest. And I just thought, oh, 
Uh, I guess this is what planes do now, not knowing that it depends on the aircraft and when it was built and all this stuff. So I'm expecting that to be the default. And then we load up to go to Chicago last year and we get on a plane and I'm, I'm where are the TVs? Maybe they're hidden in this model. You got to pull them out of a, uh, the seat rest or something. And, uh, was told, Oh no, this, this, uh, plane does not have screens in the headrest and that. So I, I learned the hard way that that's not like a default. You have to check that, I guess, as you're buying your ticket, assuming that exactly. something goes wrong and you'll be on that plane. Right. Terrible. Yep, Terrible. Yep, yep. Well, well, we we made it all back in one piece, and I assume a good time was had. The event was wonderful. The travel was horrendous. Okay. All right. All right. Well, glad to hear the event went well. Uh, should we get into the topic here? Uh, speaking of holidays get, and the holiday season, let's get right into it. We've talked everybody's air off about other topics. <laughs> yeah. 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 Perfect. So, what do we uh, What do we have in store? Well, every year since we've been doing our podcast, we have uh, done a holiday show around this time, and although we didn't plan it as such this year, especially because since normally I set the show up on my phone, but my phone was with Apple yesterday, so I set it up late, so it was done today. Um, but I wanted to get I wanted us to get a show in. Before, obviously, because next Tuesday is Christmas, right? Or That's Christmas. correct. Yeah, right, or Christmas Eve, one of the two. And um, <clears throat> so, but important to us and all of us is that, you know, what is it about recovery and the holidays? Because, you know, we have, obviously, people in our program now that are, you know, trying to get their recovery thing going. And uh, they're going to be with us for the holiday season. But um, more on personal notes, both yourself and, and myself have experienced um, uh, being in that uh, recovery environment in the holiday season. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that. You know, what is it like to be in treatment during the holiday season? Sure. Uh, what is it like to be in, you know, the other stages of recovery, you know, post-treatment during the holiday season and all that comes with that. That's what I want to talk about. Okay. That sounds good. Yeah, let's let's get it going. I think that's a I think that's something that is overlooked sometimes, um maybe not by trained professionals and those of us who work in the field, but that uh generally speaking, you know, as facilities, we try and do a lot for our clients to make this time you know, something that feels good and we have good meals prepared and we decorate the house and we buy the clients gifts. And so all from the outside looking in, it may feel like, um, you know, that we're doing a lot and the clients are going to have a great time. Many of us, uh, you know, onlookers don't keep in mind, you know, there, there's a lot of trauma or there's a lot of kind of bad associations made to holidays for a lot of our clients. Right. So that's why twofold or threefold part of what we're trying to do is create new memories, positive memories and associations with that. And even if they are, <clears throat> excuse me, associations of, of being with your peers in, in a treatment program, because the fact that you're in a treatment program is a positive thing. 
because you could still be on the street, you know, right, in your addiction, right? right? Um, is it the ideal place for you to be? No. Most people want to be with their, their loved ones and with their families. Absolutely. But that wasn't the case when you were out there. When you were out there, you were ripping and running and in the streets and doing what you were doing. So right. the fact that you have made the decision to get your life together, come into treatment, would that be the first stage and the first step to getting your life together? And because of when you came in, you're going to experience the holidays in the treatment environment. Um, that's a good thing. That's a positive thing. So the second thing becomes how can we as the, the treatment provider and in collaboration with the clients make it a wonderful time for people to experience S separate and apart from what their uh, if they have negative associations to this time and separate and apart from just the natural missing of your family and loved ones around this time so we try and make sure as you stated that people uh, you know have a spirit of you know giving um, so we have the clients exchange gifts with each other. <clears throat> and by the way, let me add, there's no religious sentiment to it. Um, it's, it's a, you know, end of year, it's a holiday thing. If you celebrate Christmas, you can, you can, you can ha attach that to it. Um, if you celebrate Kwanzaa, you can attach that to it. Hanukkah just ended. If you celebrate Hanukkah, you can attach that to it. Um, it's more the time than a particular day. So it's, you know, wrapping up the end of the year, you're in the traditional holiday season, but also it encompasses that week when the new year starts. You know what I'm saying? So it's like mm -hmm. that whole two and a half week period. So put the trees up, gifts up, decorations up, um, the family cooks some different things, people come to visit and bring things. So you're trying to get the whole environment and spirit going in that direction. But the third part of all that is what people are actually experiencing inside during this time. And that's where we come in, i.e. the counselors and whatnot, to yep, the, team. Uh, the team provide to provide time to talk about that. Because the reality sure. is, uh, you know, you might have two extremes, right? You, see, you have the person who's always up and happy and whatnot, and the person who seems to be always down. So, and then a lot of people in the middle. So, you know, they're up one day, down one day, you know, depending on what, what they're thinking about, you know, what memories are coming back to them, etc. So, but we want to talk about all of that and give them an opportunity to talk about all of that because it, if, it, if we don't do that, it just gets glossed over because the, the holidays bring up a lot. Now we don't know what it brings up until each person gets, you know, speaks to what it brings up for them. Uh, the one thing we don't want to do, though, and the one thing we always caution against is we're going to talk about whatever it is it brings up for you, good, bad, or ugly. Okay, but with the end focus being on what do we need to do to create. So if it's if it's negative and or bad ugly memories, how can we go about creating new positive and constructive memories? And maybe the start of that is right here now in in our common ground. 
Right. Doesn't that uh, line up so perfectly with our our um, our common grounds phrase? You know, where hope grows in our common ground. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Exactly, exactly. I was going to say, it's almost like uh, a seamless, like it was meant to be mm-hmm. in such a way uh, where hope grows. And even our, um, for for those of the folks listening out there, we had our annual OCG party and the um, theme, so to speak, of this, this year's party was, uh, well, miracles happen. You know, where mm-hmm. miracles happen. And um, yeah, you know, this, this, this could be the time to make that change for folks. Yep. So we, um, you know, my personal experience when I went into, when I experienced the holidays for the first time in treatment, I was a, I had been in, because remember I went into treatment in the very early part of the year. So I'd already been there for, you know, 10, 10, 11 months by the time treatment came around. And, And I was also at that time in the staff training program, but still here we were. We were still, you know, 200 miles up in the Catskill Mountains, away from everyone else. Um, and so you're in this self-contained environment. You have to create a atmosphere uh, in that environment. And it was one of the best memories and best experiences I've ever had um, in a holiday, you know, time. Um, okay. And that's a, and to me, that's a testament to Daytop, the organization, because that's something that they really strive to do is to create those environments, those positive experiences and memories for people, knowing that they've come from such traumatic uh, memories and experiences in their life. And so no matter what time of the year it was, if it was a holiday time, whether it was end of year, Christmas, New Year, uh, Easter, July 4th, I mean, you name it, whatever it was, they wanted to create a positive experience for people. And they certainly did that. That was my experience uh, during the holidays. Sure, sure. Even even though there was one one part of that experience, which was always a, uh, it's not a pet peeve. It was just an interesting thing about daytime that I always noticed. So the facility gets like we do here, gets dressed up, right, for the holiday, right? Decorations, the tree, I mean, gifts under the tree. I mean, you name it, right? It gets dressed up. Yep. But one thing that happened in daytime was the day after Christmas, which they call Boxing Day in other parts of the world, the day after Christmas, when you came on the floor, there was zero remnants or reminder that there was ever a holiday celebration. I mean, the facility was back to how it looked. Sparkling clean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was no decorations up. Everything put down, sure, sure. There was nothing left from the day before. So if you just came on the 26th of December and you weren't there on the 25th or the 24th or the 23rd, you would have no idea that there was any celebration, any decoration, or anything that occurred the day before. That used to always, it was just intrigued me how that, how, how that worked. Now, I don't know what was behind that. I don't know if it was a logistical thing, you know, because there was so much stuff up in a large facility. But I was like, I'll come on the floor. I'll be like, Wow. 
you would not know that yesterday there was a whole bunch of decorations and Christmas trees and gifts and whatnot. When, and when I say decorations, I'm talking about every, you know, handrail and doorknob and door. I mean, everything was decorated. Sure, sure. All gone when you come on the floor that, the next morning. That that quick. <laughs> That quick, so within I, 24 I, hours. That Yeah, that, I, that's yeah. efficiency right there. Yeah, I was always amused by that. But um, so one of the things we like to talk about, though, is because where, where were you this time last year? What were you doing? What was life like for you? So that we can have yeah. a, um, you know, something to compare it to. Sure. You know what I mean? And so we want them to be able to talk about what life was like, where they were, you know, were you in jail, were you in prison, were you on the streets, were you a functional addict, were you, you know, working and taking care of business but just still using and you couldn't stop. Whatever it may be or may have been, uh, we, want, we want them to talk about that so that we can draw the contrast to where we are now and what we're trying right. to do differently now. And it's very important to get them to uh, – articulate that and hear that coming out of their own mouths so that they can feel the contrast. You know, it's one thing, it's, it's, it's a different experience when you hear yourself talking about, yeah, you know, I was this time last year, I was locked up or this time last year, I was homeless this time last year, I was just running the streets, you know, using and, and this, that or another. And, uh, here I am now, you know, I've been in treatment a couple of months, I'm clean, I'm sober, and um, I feel better physically, health-wise. So you want them to verbalize all of that so that they can feel inside the contrast. So it's not just a, um, an intellectual thing, contrast, but an emotional contrast that you can you know, feel inside of you. I mean, that doesn't happen without giving them the opportunity to verbalize it. <clears throat> Right, and of course we have to kind of stare it to get them there, but um, whatever works. <clears throat> now, no, yeah, I, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go I was ahead. gonna say I, I think that, and that's such a a key piece uh, because, and, and you know, some clients are not this way, but many of the clients are very in the moment, and so the idea that they are in treatment for you know, uh, Christmas, say, for, for Christmas, that's right around the corner here, um, can be one that is very upsetting because I don't want to be in treatment. I'd rather be with my family, and I'm not at the level where I can submit a request. And so uh, very easy to get down on that situation. And then, you know, when you put them in the position to, well, let's revisit last Christmas or the Christmas before. And we begin to realize that even when we were in the free world, and had an opportunity to be with our family, uh, we were running the streets and doing things that prevented us from being there. Or we were there physically, but not spiritually or emotionally because we were still getting high or right. whatever the case may be. And so it's very easy to look at the here and now and, uh, you know, being stuck in here for Christmas. This is, this is not something I'm enjoying, but, but then having them voice and revisit other Christmases past when they were in their addiction and realizing, Oh wow, you know what? Even even when I did have the opportunity to be with my family, which is what I'm saying I'd like to do now, I made choices that prevented me from doing so when I had the option of doing so. 
And so, you know, what what can I do moving forward to make sure I can respect being in the position of being able to make that choice moving forward? And sometimes it's very difficult to see unless, like you said, uh, we go through the little exercise of remembering where, where we might have been in holidays past. Right. <clears throat> the um, The other point on that is sometimes when we have them broach that subject about, you know, uh, feeling like they don't want to be here. I mean, granted, we historically, just over historical time, we, we do lose clients this time of the year because of that, that they want to be with their families. However, unrealistic the unrealistic the reality of that may be, that wanting from them drives them out the door. Sure. Now, going out the door, it says many things. It says, well, you know, you weren't, you weren't committed, you weren't invested in all of that good thing because we do rely on the family – to push back on them with that narrative that they sometimes start to formulate in their mind. I need to be with my family and I want to be with my family. My family wants me to be with my family. And so that's where the family comes in to say, no, (laughs) as a matter of fact, we're having the best Christmas we've ever had knowing, I mean, in a long time, knowing that you're safe, you're in a place where you're getting help and all of that good stuff. We can come to visit, for the ho- visit you for the holidays and so on and so forth and provide you that family connection that you're talking about. So if the family's on board and nine and a half times out of ten they are, you know, that's the service that they provide to assist the client in staying grounded, staying put, and realizing that, hey, guess what? This time is going to pass. If you don't feed into that wanting to leave and quote-unquote being with your family. Because what happens nine and a half times out of ten when someone leaves? They don't run home to be with their family. Yeah, right, 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 right. Exactly, exactly. That, that's not what we heard. The next thing we hear two or three days later, oh, so-and-so is locked up. Or so-and-so is ripping and running. We're like, well, what happened to the family? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What happened to the your spouse? What happened to the children? What You know, what happened to all that? Right, the whole plan, the whole reason you left. Right. Mm-hmm. So we do have to, you know, and and that's why have you know having them talk about what they're going through and the feelings regarding it is very important because it gives us an opportunity to kind of ground them. Now, of course, there are some, you know, there are some that we do have to break out the the mallet. <laughs> You know, the very soft, you know, the soft mallet, not the hammer, the soft mallet, (laughs) the rubber mallet, and hit them over the head with, you know, look, I know you're saying this is what you want to do, and you got all these good intentions, because, you you know, you want to, you know, this is the holiday Christmas time and whatnot, you don't want to be in treatment around this time, but look, man, you, this time last year, or three months ago, this is what you were doing. Yeah, yeah. Don't let us have to call your spouse up or your significant other up or your children, your grown children up. Whomever it is we can grab onto that's supporting you out there, that's been coming for for uh, family visits on Sundays, whomever it is that we can call and say, hey, 
He's starting to look outside now. He's starting to look at the street. He's, and he's using the holiday and, and family as the excuse. And this is and this is not going to end well if he if he feeds into it and then acts off of it. So maybe you want to you know give him a call and uh, give him some truth, and hopefully that that puts him back in their seat. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, that works. More often than not, and uh, but sometimes somebody's mind is dead set. Um, the streets are calling them. And, and and more way more often than not, it's not the family. It's not the family. The family is usually trying to support them and trying to you know hey whatever the program wants you to do, do. That's what the family is usually saying. It's very rare. I don't know if you can recall for you, Mr. Producer. I've never encountered a family member of any type calling up saying hey yeah we want him to come home. You know has that happened? Yeah, that has happened, but that's very rare. But it's not the norm for that to happen. Usually it's the other way around. You know, the hand goes, oh, no, 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 no. We don't want them home. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> the family's still trying to get over, you know, <laughs> the, uh, the tornado yeah. that just went through the family. Exactly, exactly. We're still cleaning up post-storm. Exactly. Right, we need, right. We need a little distance here. We need some space. And some time and you know what doesn't work for the addict, you know, time and space works for the family sometimes. Time and space, hey, right. need a little break. Exactly, exactly, and that's why and we've touched on it in other in other episodes, obviously. But that that dynamic, that that period of time where the the individual is in treatment uh, and recovering is also a period of time for the bridges that may have been burned with family members who aren't you know, acquaintances or colleagues or, or whomever who uh, could easily wash their hands of you, so to speak. Uh, but people who are family and will be with you for life, it is also, uh, they are recovering with that time and distance. Absolutely. And that point goes unsaid too often that the family is also in recovery in two ways, just recovering, or actually in three ways. They're just rec- like recovering from you and what you put them through. They're recovering with you in terms of going through the process of recovery with you, supporting you. And then they also have their own personal experience that they also have to recover from. So, you know, right? they, you know, who knows? They may have more to deal with than you, the client in treatment. Because they're still out there, you know, living, you know, surviving, taking care of business, etc. Whereas you've been privileged and fortunate enough to be able to come and go somewhere where you have no external responsibilities. And yeah. the family's yeah. left to pick up whatever pieces may be out there, small children or, you know, what have you. Who knows, whatever it may be. To help you, so to assist, support you, and you trying to get your act together. So, you know, so that's why more often than not, the family is 100% with us. And, and if someone's really trying to uh, use the holidays and being home with family as this excuse, they kind of knocked that right out and said, no, nah, that's, that's not happening. But, um, like I said, more often than not, we're, we're, we kind of are successful and talking somebody out of that, um, 
I don't think there's no more time in throughout the year that that comes up where, you know, uh, being with family, maybe Thanksgiving. So, so you got these two back-to-back kind of uh, traditional family-oriented holidays, right? Sure, They're just like sure. month, a month apart from each other at the end of the year that really hit people, which brings us back to why, you know, Daytop and, and our Common Ground, you know, place such an emphasis on uh, building up those two periods of time, knowing how people tie back to their family, and it could be a very emotional and um, taxing time for them going through that. So imagine, I mean, years ago, this was, you know, if you're going to be in treatment more than six months, you know, you more often than not, you're going to catch Thanksgiving and Christmas if you come in the second half of the year, right? So now, with right, treatment right. only being res- residential treatment, if you're in the recovery residence, that's different. But residential treatment only being three months, you know, you you would have to come in, um, when would that be, Mr. Producer? At October. Yeah, right. Sept- you got to September. Come in. September mm-hmm. to catch uh, um, Thanksgiving, but October probably to catch both. Yeah, October, yeah, exactly, exactly. You're catching both. Um and that you know, traditionally, or well, I guess I shouldn't say traditionally, but it, but in some um, models, uh, you might you might end up catching both if you come in a little earlier, con- contingent upon where you uh, step down to or transfer to next. But yeah, as far as just in your residential program, if you come in the beginning of the year, the summer, yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna be there for any of them. So it does need to be toward the end of the year where, uh, yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna be. Uh, experiencing the holiday season with, um, you know, the family and the peer group that you're bonding with. Mm-hmm. One of the other things that we wanted, we, we try to do also is we want people to talk about if the ho- these holiday, this holiday period um, were, was a time when they kind of amped up their use of drugs um, and or played a more it, they kind of attached more importance to this time of the year in terms of their drug use meaning how can I describe this so for me it was like almost even though you could have been using all throughout the year and you were kind of using at this same um, same amount and same level but you kind of had this celebratory extra right around the holidays like, because you were celebrating the holidays, so you celebrated by <laughs> using more. Right, I know, right, I know, right. I know how stupid that sounds as I'm saying it as a, you know, like, really? I actually, that actually made sense in my own mind, but yeah, I guess it did. That's um, right. Back then. But, um, so that's, you know, that's what we did. But the reason why we want you to say that and talk about that, because let's say you move through the recovery process and now you're post-treatment. And you're now, you know, out there doing your thing, living a positive and constructive life. And, you know, the holidays come back around, but you're in a different place, different space, etc. Um, we want you to, and, and it's hope that now you have different associations with the holidays. And yeah. it's, not, it's not that, hey, this is the time when I used to amp up my use. This is the time I used to do this. And it's those negative associations, but it's you have started a positive association and of doing positive things around the holiday times, whatever they may be. And those are what become the norm 
for you because it would be unfortunate if you are in treatment this time of the year and 12 months from now come back around and you're now out of treatment, living your life, doing your thing, and this time of the year comes back around and the associations are not something that you can grab a hold of to you know, positively take you through the holiday season, but you still kind of have a association from your negative past. Because um, we certainly don't want people to now go through a relapse experience because of their, I would call their now misassociations of their holiday experiences. Right. Right. And we're, and like you said, trying to flip those associations to where, uh, we no longer have maybe the negative thoughts or the triggers, but instead now, uh, hey, man, I can actually remember the the first sober Christmas in my mind's eye when I was in this program a couple of months back, and it felt really good. And we all, you know, we were all treated well and got to eat a meal together and had roofs over our head, and we were all trying to get to the same place, have the same goals, and, and you start a new kind of trend. Now... When you were uh, in treatment, Mr. Producer, eons and eons ago, uh, what was it like for you in treatment going through the uh, Christmas holiday and getting the secret Santa gifts and all of that good stuff? Yeah, so, excuse me, um, uh, I remember it being, you know, as enjoyable as it could be for, for, for me. Um, I, I remember feeling you really got a sense or a feeling that the program uh, wanted to make sure that it was special, uh, that the program was going, um, you know, kind of over the top to try and make sure that we enjoyed ourselves. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, I, I was someone in, in the adolescent program. Many of us were still at home for the holidays. Uh, being adolescents, we weren't in prison for any extended period of time, and uh, very few of us, if any of us, you know, were actually at the point of an addiction where many adults get where you're actually in the street or homeless or whatever the case may be. Um, but that said, that speaks to my point of, you know, there's a difference between being home for the holiday and, and being present for that holiday, right? Uh, because if all we could think about is, ah, you know, how can I get through this lunch with my family and, and, and how, you know, how bored I am right now with all, all of the individuals that are here and I, I'd like to go out and get with my friends and, and get high or whatever the case may be, um, that you might be home but not be present. And the idea that we were all together and we were present and we could feel it and, and it felt good uh, did create, you know, a good kind of feeling. You know what, like, this is kind of what the holiday should be like. Um, I also remember feeling like, you know, seeing the floor staff that were working and understanding that, wow, you know, the staff who are here right now, either preparing a meal for us or, uh, you know, supervising us because it's a facility and, and people have to be here, you know, they have families too, but they're here with us on this holiday. And that always kind of struck a chord with me. Mm-hmm. Um, as something really special, like this individual is taking eight hours out of their holiday, um, you know, to be here and to cook and to work and to be here for us. And I always remember 
that that felt a little special. And, and mm-hmm. so that was something, and, I, and I'm not sure how many people that feeling was shared by or how many people kind of took that for granted. But it stuck with me so much that I remember when I was first hired as a floor staff in 2004, and I'm not even sure if you're aware of this, uh, Mr. Hosta, uh, you may be. But when I was hired as a floor staff in 2004, I went on about a maybe like a 10-year run where I would go and talk to my supervisor at the time, which which would have been Larry or whomever else, uh, even even prior to Larry. Um, where, you know, around the holidays, there's a lot of staff who are putting in for time off requests because they're going to travel home to their family or be wherever. And I would always volunteer um, to work that day. Hey, if everybody else wants it off, you can assign me. I'll even work a double. You know, I'll get in there in the morning and work through the evening. And I went on a 10-year run where uh, I was taken up on that offer so other people could get those days off. And I worked either a single or a double for 10 years straight on Christmas, even Christmas. And then uh, I worked 10 years straight on Thanksgiving, uh, many of those doubles and cooked the Thanksgiving dinner for the family. And uh, the, the main reason is because I, I remembered how I felt when I was a client in treatment uh, about, you know, how kind of cool it was to see that there was a staff here that was going to cook for us or be there for us and how it made me feel a little special in, you know, our philosophy. You can't keep it unless you give it away. And I wanted to play that role on the other end. And, um, and so, you know, there was some sacrifice on my end, obviously, uh, you know, my, my grandparents and they've both passed now. Uh, we spoke about that on the show, but, um, you know, they missed seeing me for that period of time. And I would explain, you know, I would go see them maybe the weekend after the day after whatever the case may be. Um, but explain to them, Hey, you know what? I got to work and this is just something I feel like I need to do, you know, for myself and for the facility and everything else. Um, Hey, yeah. And went on, went on that run up until I think maybe last year or a couple of years back when I was put in the position that I'm in now, um, where I now have those holidays off and, and can spend them with my wife and her family. Uh, but that 10 years felt really special to me because it was my way of giving back that little piece that I felt was so special when I was on the other end in, in the client seat, you know? Absolutely. But I think let the record show and let the record reflect that uh, the reason it came to a, a crashing, screeching, 360-degree sliding halt, and, and rightfully so, was because you got married. <laughs> 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 right, right. I could only get away with that for maybe the first or second year of marriage, and then it was like, uh, no, you know, this this isn't gonna fly. Yeah, yeah. Good call. Good call. Because uh, even when I was a young counselor at Swan Lake, uh, well, when I was a young counselor at Swan Lake, I actually brought my family to the facility because you know when you're up there, the Catskill Mountains, living up there. You know, there's nothing to do, so you hang out. You know, you the facility becomes your family, right? Um, and your right. extended family. Um, so we 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 spent Thanksgiving and and Christmas Day at the uh, facility if we weren't driving back down to be with family and what have you. But um, oh yeah, I mean that once we came out to California, the, that came to a screeching halt. Sure, sure, sure. And, uh, and right and rightfully so. You know, we want to kind of de- uh, develop our. Um, um, even fortunately, you know, even though you volunteered for that ten-year period, um, 
you know, the flip side is that more often than not, especially for staff who've been around a long time, you, you kind of rotate it. You know what I mean? So, uh-huh. uh, so everyone gets an opportunity to spend time with their family, um, but also experience what it's like to work that day in a residential type environment. Um, because I mean, at least with my experience, you know, that one day or those two days, Thanksgiving and, and, and Christmas, um, you know, and what I'm about to say is specifically tying, talking about old school, old school, old school. You know, you knew you weren't going to be getting hammered that day by the, by the counselors. Yeah, the staff right, on right. Duty, right? Um, so you got to sort of experience a different side of them and whatnot. <clears throat> so it was, it was pretty good. Um, and that's one of the things, uh, and we want our clients today to experience. Not only is there going to be a time for introspection and and reflection and all of that, but there's also a time for socializing, um, relaxation, and just enjoying one's company. You know right. Because I mean? we right. do have to be able to do that also and not have to use drugs to be able to just enjoy each other's company, socialize, um, and be around, practice being around family without always looking at the front door, you know, sure. ready to make, ready to make your exit, you know, because something else is calling you or distracting you when how it should be and how we want it to be is that your family, whomever and however that may look, whomever that may be and however that may look, we want that to be the focus on around these times. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, a part of that, I think, really, and, you know, from my own personal experience and even what you were talking about, you know, that imprint uh, that is made that will last on the community at the time, um, you know, is huge. And it's important for for them to see and experience something like that, um, you know, where, hey, you know what, the, the holiday time and the holiday season uh, can be something that, that I look forward to and that is good and that is meant to share with, you know, people that are close and loved ones. Mm-hmm. And not to take it for granted, because I think that's also a piece, too, that, you know, it goes without saying, and you definitely don't want to throw it in a client's face, but, um, you know, the, the clients will do it to one another. Sometimes when somebody's losing track of what's in front of them and, and being grateful or having gratitude for what is being offered to them, was that, you know, you took it for granted when you were out there and had that opportunity to be with your family, do what you were supposed to do, and you did not. Uh, and so it's important to, to recognize that, you know what, hey, that's true, and I got to learn what I, what I, whatever it is I need to learn to make sure that I, you know I don't neglect that or take that for granted moving forward. Right. <clears throat> well, that sounds wonderful. Uh, I hope we were able to touch on both aspects of recovery and the holiday: the, the part of being in treatment, the part of post-treatment. Um, obviously. Uh, as people move through their recovery experience, one year, two year, three year, four year, people kind of settle into what their experience is going to be for them. Not to say that it won't change, but just a general kind of uh, baseline foundation of, of of how they approach and how they experience the holidays. Um, yeah. And 
my goal for everyone in recovery is that they reach a point where they experience the holidays and being in recovery, even though there's nothing wrong if this is the case, okay, but being in recovery is no longer a prominent thing about the holidays. So you're just enjoying the holidays. The fact that you're in recovery is just sitting over here somewhere, but it's not the yeah, thing. Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah, it's it's a it's a point that doesn't even need to be touched on. You're just now you're living your life and you're living, exactly. uh, enjoying enjoying the holidays as they were meant to be enjoyed. Exactly. Yeah, All absolutely. Right, sir. Well said. Yep. Uh so we do have a tradition on our holiday show. We there's a particular song that we play from the Temptations. It wouldn't That's be right. a holiday wouldn't be our holiday show without it. Um so unless you got anything else to add, I'm looking at my list here. We've covered everything we need to cover. Uh you did say you wanted to speak briefly about something about the audit avalanche. Yeah, well and that was under. nothing nothing more than to give our audience, you know, uh we're not we're not making excuses uh, to why we're not uh, doing radio shows as more uh, as frequently as we used to, uh, but that said, we have been hit with, uh, as the host said uh, very aptly, an avalanche of audits which have occupied our time and prevented us from being able to take a couple of hours out of our day uh, Tuesday to do a radio show. But I was going to ask, uh, in your experience. Um, you know, have you ever seen an audit avalanche quite like the one we've just received? Because I can't recall uh, in the 14 years that I've worked here ever, ever seeing such a thing. No, and part of a couple of perfect storms occurred, which like won't happen next year. Like, you know, our turn came up at the state level for a state level audit, auditing five years, you know, five years ago's records. Um so that only comes up every four or five years. So just boom, sure. came up this year, right? And then the county changed the way they do their audits. Instead of just doing them all at one time and taking two days, they now separate them out. So they have a physical plan audit, a clinical audit, an administrative audit, and a fourth one, which I don't remember escapes me at the moment. And so now it's four, you know, four different times of the year that they're going mm. to come in. So it makes it seem like it just never ends. Yeah, and then if (laughs) this time this time of the year, like from July all the way through December, you got your own internal audit that's happening, right? You have your financial audit that's happening between September and October and November, and then you key in the county audit, the state audit, and then now, I'm sure you're aware of the audit that's happening in January, right? So it's like, uh so it's like we we get what two weeks to not even two weeks to get a, a breather. And catch our breath before boom, someone else comes in from the state. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. The yeah. answer to your question is no. I've never experienced it like this. Yeah, but we're See, but so, we're not alone. Where it'd be different no, if we right. were like, alone, but we're not alone. Right, right, right. Yeah. So no, th- that was just it. You know, and, and clue the audience in a little bit on on how busy we've been because of all these things, which has prevented us from being able to do a uh, bi-monthly show or you know whatever it is we we're hoping to accomplish. So 
there you have it, folks. Uh, don't hate us for not making shows more frequently. Have sympathy and empathy for us as we battle the avalanche of audits uh, that are coming our way. But yeah, I've got uh, I've got nothing else. I thought it was a great topic. Uh, I will wrap it up by wishing everybody out there a, a safe holidays and a happy holidays, and you know everybody enjoy the the blessed time you have to be with your family and your loved ones. I'm sure we will be back, and the next time we talk to you guys, it'll be a new year, 2019, uh, per tradition. I think we normally do like a New Year's show or or something to do with resolutions and whatnot, and so we'll be hitting you with that again. And and as the host said, we will see you all off with a little holiday message and holiday music tradition. Roach on Recovery. On behalf of OCG's Board of Directors, staff and clients would like to wish the families and friends of OCG clients and the listeners to OCG Recovery Radio a very safe and happy holiday season.
our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4pm Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCG and on Twitter at OCG You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio.